0: I want to cover just a few brief things about our Hebrew roots. And the reason why I'm sharing this is because I'm going to be doing a sermon on Tuesday that I believe that this will really um, complement that sermon. But it's things I'm not going to even cover at all. All right. So the first thing I want to say, well, let's pray. Father, we agree together. Let everything be accomplished through this. Your will be done. Come speak through me. Let your Holy Spirit anoint us and cause all this truth to get into us and take residence. And help us, of apply it to our lives. And let this um, be powerful and effective for your kingdom and river of life. I bless you. And we thank you for it now in Jesus' name. All right, so the first thing is God's calendar. It's very interesting. I got my notes over here. So I'm back and forth, okay? The Gregorian calendar is what we use. But God's calendar is the Hebrew calendar. Let me show you a few things. The um, Gregorian calendar is based on the sun. And it's interesting because it begins at midnight. You know, it ends at 1159. That's when our day ends at midnight. And then it begins at 1201. And so it begins and ends in darkness. And it's interesting because the Hebrew uh, mindset is that it will, the, the day will end in the evening. So it ends in darkness. I'm sorry, it begins in darkness in the evening, but it ends in light. And so that's really interesting, isn't it? And they get that because God said uh, there was evening and morning, then there was the next day in Genesis. Or right, another thing is that in the West we use the solar Gregorian calendar that Pope Gregory the Thirteenth introduced in 1582. Now what he did was he took the Julian calendar, which uh, Julius Caesar had implemented in 45 BC, and he built on that. And the way that this calendar works, it's totally based on the sun. Now, it's really interesting because in the Hebrew mindset, the rabbis and sages and people teach that when you're dealing with the sun and you deal with like a solar eclipse, it speaks to the Gentiles. But when you deal with the moon and you deal with like a blood moon on a feast day, it's pertaining to Israel because their calendar is um, lunar. It has to do with the moon. And so the way that the Gregorian solar calendar works is this it revolves we revolve around the Sun in 365 days well 365 and a fourth day and so um, every four years we have a leap year where we add a day or whatever to kind of offset all of that but that's how it's totally revolving around the Sun and see whenever God made the tabernacle, the children of Israel come out of Egypt, and Egypt worshiped Ra, the sun god, so the focus was on the sun, and it had to do with these heathen, pagan religions, and God had the tabernacle where the door was at the east, and you had to turn your back on the rising sun to look at that pillar of fire, or that, whether it be the cloud of glory in the day, that was at the tabernacle, you had to turn your back on the gentile, pagan, demon gods, and look to the god of Abraham. And so that's that's all in this. Okay, the Hebrew calendar is based on the, the way that the moon circles the earth. And so every this happens every 29 and a half days, the moon will be rotating around the earth. Okay, therefore, in a 12-month year, there's only about 345 days that this is taking place. And so to offset that, to, because we do these 12-month years, okay, um, every about two to three years, the Jewish calendar will add a month, and uh, it's called Adar 2, and they'll add that to the uh, calendar to make up for that loss. So it's, it's kind of like having a leap month, and it's interesting because it's called a pregnant year whenever that happens. And so 2016 is going to be a, a pregnant year because Adar 2 is added to the calendar. Now, I think that there's something about that because these whole blood moons and the, the sorrow cycles and all the things I talked about, there's been so many signs. And this is actually, this coming year is a jubilee year. And it, there's something about this year that's going to be very significant for the body of Christ. And I believe we're going to start start seeing some things unfold that has to do with those that of blood moons that we saw the last couple of years. Anyway, so God, this is interesting, God calls the beginning of the year in the the month of Abib in the Bible, but that was later changed to the month we know as Nisan, when we have Passover. Now, God never has changed that. What happened was the children of Israel went into Babylonian captivity and they begin to change a lot of things. First off, you get names, name changes, like they went from Abib and, they, and, and now it's called Nissan in our current calendar. That, there was a name called Tammuz. that's one of the the you know Hebrew calendar names, and that's a pagan, uh, a pagan thing. that's not something that was originally called. And also it switched the beginning of the year switch from being at the Passover time, It switched now to being in the fall feast with Rosh Hashanah, which is not what even God calls that feast. He calls it Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, but it's called Rosh Hashanah because it's called the head of the year, but that's that's not biblical. And so I've been looking at this for a long time now, and I've been trying to figure all of this out in my mind, but truthfully, on God's calendar, the way he wrote it, Passover time, Nisan 1, is the beginning of God's biblical year. And then two weeks later, we, there's Passover at the full moon time. And that's how God wants us to begin our year, by purging all the leaven out of our lives, coming under the blood, really consecrating ourselves. So this year, sometime close to the Passover time, um, in you know March-April time frame, I'm going to have some kind of a, a church partial fast, and we'll have another time where people can... Consecrate themselves and and we'll do like a baptism and stuff like that And of course we'll have a Passover Seder service as well Just so you guys know And then here's what I really wanted to get to was the Talit So I tried to filter through all of this Because I know that there's so much information with the Hebrew roots And to be honest it's important that you know this Not everything is, is good There's some belief systems There's some traditions of men and there's some things in there that's religious, and it's and it's not necessarily a good thing. But there is a lot of good that you can draw from this, though. And I believe that the tallit is one of those things. So here we go. In Numbers, God told Israel to make a garment that had four corners, and it would have these tassels. The corners are called the kanaf, and usually they're decorated like this. And attached to all four corners it will be what's called the tzitzit, which is um, a tassel. And you can see on this, I'm going to try to hold it in one hand, that there's going to be five different knots going at one, two, three, four, five. And it represents the five books of Moses. And there's going to be four spaces with different knots that represents the uh, the name of God, yud heh vav And the way that all of this is tied and, and done, it, it, it symbolizes the 613 laws given to Moses. <clears throat> so let me read this to you, Numbers 15, starting in verse 37. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels. This is the tzitzit, okay, on the corners of their garments through their generations that they should put on the tassels of each corner of the cord, uh, a cord of blue. Now this doesn't have that, okay, a lot of them don't. I do have one that does have one strand of blue through it, which is, you know, more accurate. But anyway, it shall uh, be a tassel for you to look at with your eyes, And remember all the commandments of the Lord so as to do them and not follow after your own heart and your own eyes, after which you played the harlot, so that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy unto God. For I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. So the word there that they use in Hebrew that you look upon, that you see this, is the same exact Hebrew word that was used when the children of Israel went into the land to spy it out, and they looked upon the land. They saw it, but they came back with an e- evil report. And so a lot of, of teachers will say, well, what that is, what this is, it's for them to look upon God's commandments and to quit rebelling against him like they did in the past. So it's kind of like a WWJD bracelet or something that somebody would wear to remind them to to live a righteous life. So that's the purpose there. But anyway, most likely these garments were not the way they look exactly right now. They were probably more like what we would call maybe like a poncho or like a tunic that would go over. So you would have undergarments, but then you would have an outer garment, and on the corners of that outer garment would be this, and people wore them all the time. I mean, it was something worn regularly, and their whole life. You know, they would they would take this and they would pray, and, and you can see it in the life of Elijah. Where he he had this all the time. And he went up in that cave. And when he heard that still small voice. He came out and he covered his head. With the, with the garment like this. And went and prayed before the Lord. And it's also viewed in Hebrew culture. To cover your head as a sign of respect. To God in his presence. That you're humbling yourself before him. A couple more things. The Bible says that God wraps himself in light. In uh, Psalms 104 verse 2. The Lord wraps himself in light as a garment and stretches out the heavens like a tent. And so we know that Adam and Eve, when they were created, if you do read it in Hebrew, it says that before they fell, that they were naked and knew no shame. But the word they're naked in the Hebrew is A-R-O-M, arom, and it means partially nude. Now, after they ate the fruit and they sinned against God, it says they were naked and they knew it. They were naked and shame. And the Hebrew word there is E-R-O-M, and it means completely nude. And so the question remains, well, what happened? Well, they were made in God's image. So what you have to understand, in Genesis, God said, let there be light. But then later, you read about the sun, moon, and stars. And so the part that says, let there be light, that's the glory, the Shekinah glory coming So you have two words for glory, the Chabad, the C-H-A-B-A-D, which is the weightiness, but the Shekinah is the shining. Well, when God, it says here that he wraps himself in light like a garment, he wraps himself in the glory, the Shekinah. And whenever he made Adam and Eve, they had some kind of a wrapping of the glory of God where there was like a glow, a shining. Well, when they sinned, the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory. The glory lifted off them. And that's what that was the garment that left. They were naked physically, but they had some kind of an envelopment of the glory. Now, since that time we can see that there's different scriptures, like Jesus said in Matthew six, six, When you pray, go into your inner room or your closet and close the door and pray to your father who is in heaven. Your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Well, there really wasn't those type of closets in that time the way that we think of it in our minds when we read this because you would have to have a lot of money to have a bunch of extra rooms like that to put garments and things. This was really more of a metaphor. See, whenever the, children, the people of Israel would go to the synagogue to pray, each one of them, they were all in a public place, but they, they would separate themselves in their own little tent because a talit means little tent, and even though there was a group there, you're pulling this over like this, like an inner room, like a garment, like a closet, and you're kind of hiding away, and you can pray, and you don't see what's around you. You're just alone with God, so to speak. And there's also scriptures that in Psalm 91 says, the Lord says, he dwells in a secret place, well, abide under the shadow. So we know David moved the ark into Jerusalem, and he put a tent around it. And the sun would come up, and I'm sure that there was like a shadow of the wings, and he saw people around there praying, and 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 I'm sure he knew the, the the story from Samuel that when Samuel was little, he would sleep by the Ark of God, you know, and so there was this overshadowing of the wings, but also it's a reference or a metaphor to the Talit that there's an overshadowing of God's presence. So in the spirit realm. I know that we're wrapped in the presence of the Lord. We're supposed to be. We're wrapped, we're enveloped in his presence. The Spirit of God lives in us, but he's also upon us. But the tallit is an outward symbol of an envelopment of God's presence in our lives, enveloping and wrapping us. So like he dwells in a secret place, there's an overshadowing of the presence of God in our lives. And you can see also with the tabernacle that, you know, priests went into the holy place. And God could have made that tabernacle where it didn't have a ceiling. There could have just been walls. But there was a cover over the tabernacle. And at Jewish weddings, there's a chopah, there's a covering over the bride and groom of a tallit. And when God appeared to Israel at Sinai and gave him the law, the father married himself to Israel underneath that chopah of his presence that was overhead and the law that was given was that ketubah it was an agreement between the two of them as they got as they entered into a marriage relationship so how does this because i try to filter and say well what will benefit my people because i'm not going to waste your time teaching you about something has no value but i believe the Talib does have value so how does this benefit you and i i'm going to run through these quick points number one there's a principle in Scripture that when you do something over and over and over, that it it it's like redigging a well of revival. Um, it also is persistent prayer that opens the heavens. Now, let me use a flip side. In the occult world, there's a there's a a teaching of egregore, which means like you could take some little little demon god and keep praying to it and have others keep praying to it and keep doing it over time with more and more people. And it begins to really grow and take a life of its own and become an entity and a power. Uh, And that's what's happened in Islam. You know, Muhammad went in and took this little Allah demon god, which was, was just a crescent moon little god in Mecca among many gods. But he said, well, this is the one true god. And he forced everybody to kill him if he didn't worship this god. But over time, as all these people began to pray to and worship this demon god, it took on a life of its own. Now there's a principality there, and it's a stronghold. All right, that's an an evil example. But in the spirit, as we keep being persistent in our prayers, we can begin to see an open heaven. And let me give you some things here. When I come into my personal prayer time, I usually pray right here at home. And I have, you know, a prayer shawl and I have this area and this is where I take communion. I pray I can sit here and I can already feel the presence of God because I pray here every day. And there's an open heaven here. There's a, there's a presence, a tangible presence here from just being consistent praying here on a daily basis. All right, there's also Jesus, when he ministered, he had healing in his talit. And the Bible says the woman with the issue of blood crawled through there and grabbed the corner of his garment and grabbed hold of that and healing flowed into her. But there was also other references where Jesus had a talit and people touched it and were healed in the book of Mark. And see, what happened was Jesus. Well, let me tell you a story real quick to make this point. So, I was, one time I ministered, and I was, uh, it was a powerful night. And, and this was out in East Texas. There was an angel, actually, I saw uh, that went with me in this meeting. It was a real powerful night. And there was a strong anointing. People were delivered and healed, people all over the ground. This was uh, sometime in probably 2003 or something, uh, 2002. Anyway. After that, the next day, I woke up, and man, there was such a backlash of oppression against me. And I was praying, but it was it was difficult. I was having to press through. And as I was praying, I heard the Holy Spirit tell me, "So I want you to put on the shirt you wore last night when you ministered in that mighty anointing. And it's kind of weird, you know. But when you're by yourself praying, you don't care. And so I went, and I, and I pulled that shirt out, and it was uh, like a T-shirt and then another shirt. But I just put the T-shirt on. And when I did, that same anointing that I ministered under the night before came on me really strong. And that gave me like the strength to kind of break out in in prayer and press into God. I believe that that's the message of the Talit. That as you're continually praying and using a prayer shawl, whether you wear it over your head or like a blanket or whatever, there's a tangible presence, an anointing that's getting into this that you're doing something every day over and over and it resi- it's like it's taking up residence there, the anointing of God and Jesus did that there's no doubt that when he was given his his talit at his bar mitzvah he used this thing his whole life and as the Holy Spirit came upon him in great power after he was baptized by John and and he was praying that anointing was getting in this, this tallit garment and he was using that to pray for the sick and they were healed so Um, Acts chapter 19 the Apostle Paul it says that extraordinary miracles took place that handkerchiefs and aprons garments that touched him under the anointing that anointing was getting in those garments and they were going and they were throwing those garments on sick people that were being healed and and people that had demons and the demons were leaving but there was somehow a transference of the anointing that got into the garment also blessings the talit is used for um, speaking blessings, that you cover others when you speak a blessing over them, or you yourself are covered when a blessing is spoken over you. And I believe that these blessings and these this anointing and these prayers, as you're doing this over and over and over, it's like your little personal tent is being saturated with the presence of God and an anointing and a blessing that, that is affecting the atmosphere where you pray. Um, I hope I'm doing a good job explaining this. It's a little bit deeper. But here's the last couple of things. I had a friend of mine who was a pastor. Some of you know him. He's been in ministry for you know probably 30, 40 years at least. But this traveling woman came through and ministered. There. His church is really powerful. She gave him a tallit, and he began to use this some in his prayer time. And he said he was at the church, and he would keep in his office because that's where he prayed. And he said sometimes when he really had something serious going on, He said he would put on the tallit, cover his head, and he would pray, and he was sitting at his desk, and he would write down the prayer and he would really pray, and he said when he did that, he said every time he would do that, he said those prayers were answered. And he was telling me all this, and I thought that was really neat. Another thing is, Toronto, back from the Toronto Revival, probably around 2000 to 2005 time frame, they began to really put an emphasis on soaking in God's presence. And they were selling these little kits that had like a worship CD, had like a little pillow for your head, and had a blanket. Well, the blanket, in essence, was acting like a tallit. And see, what was happening was people would soak in God's presence for an hour or something, and they were doing this on a consistent, regular basis using that blanket. And that blanket was getting an anointing in that blanket. And it was as though, spiritually speaking, they could really tap into something when they prayed. Um, And then the last thing, I heard a, a preacher say this, and I really like this, he said when he uses a prayer uh, to lead or a prayer shawl, he said he'll he'll you know wrap up in this. And he said to him, it's like God, the Father, is just kind of giving him a hug with God's presence. You know, he remembers the blessings of that were in the scripture of you know God's manifest presence enveloping you. And he felt like God was just giving him a hug or something. And I thought that was pretty neat. But anyway, um, in traditional circles. There's a blessing that's spoken when you put on the tallit. You don't have to do this, but if you wanted to, in Hebrew, it's Baruch HaTadonai, Eloheinu Melech and then it's Asher Kedishanu BeMitzvotah, and then the last part is Vets Ivanu Titi, and all it means is, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the Universe, who sanctifies us with your commandments, and commands us concerning wrapping with the titi, but you could just simply say, Lord, I bless you and thank you for the tallit, and I thank you, Lord, that I'm wrapped in your manifest presence, your word, your promises, and as I look at this, I remember your word and and just put this thing on and pray. Again, whether you want to wear it over the head, whether you want to have a blanket, I'm just giving you this because I feel like that it does have some spiritual um, advantages in your life that it will help enhance some things in your personal prayer life. And not to mention you, you pray and there's a resident anointing and presence in this tallit. And maybe you've got to travel out of town. You're in a hotel somewhere. Man, you can pull that tali down and wrap up, and even though you're in a totally different environment, that presence that you carry with you, um, it will help enhance your prayer life there. So then, the last point is this: you know, I take the Lord's Supper here when I pray every day, and I can see now we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, you know. And so when I'm taking communion, you know, you cover up like this, and here you are like this taking the Lord's Supper, and it's the same. As in the biblical times when the priesthood would go into the tabernacle, they were underneath that Mishkin covering of the tent, and they're at the table of showbread, and they're taking the Lord's Supper. It's the same thing. You're you're entering into the presence of the Lord. Well, anyway, hopefully this was a blessing to you guys, and you learned something from this. This is going to really work well with my sermon that's coming up Saturday. God bless you guys. Y'all have a wonderful day.